from the Hutterberg Catechism. We read together Lord's Day 45, page 559 of your Book of Praise. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. What is the Lord's prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we begin some lessons in prayer. What is prayer? Uh, prayer is talking to God. It is calling on the name of the Lord, thanking God for all his blessings and asking him to provide our needs. On the one hand, prayer is so simple that even young children can be taught to pray. And yet on the other hand, there is something mysterious about prayer. For talking to a God we cannot see. We're communicating with our Father in heaven, a God whom atheists deny even exists. God is up in heaven, and we're down here on earth. God is pure spirit, while we are made up of body and spirit. Our spirit communicates with our fellow human beings through a mouth and a tongue that are material. Yet in our prayers, the material part of our, of our makeup is bypassed, and our spirit communicates with God. Because of the differences between God and us, and because of the distance between us, we don't always find it easy to pray. Yet in his word, God commands us to pray. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul urges us, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God wants his people to live in heartfelt communion with him. Beloved, can you imagine a close love relationship where a boyfriend and girlfriend do not talk? 
Can you imagine an intimate marriage relationship where husband and wife never speak with each other? Do you think it's possible that those redeemed by the blood of Christ and renewed by His Spirit would never pray? Prayer is a barometer of our life with God. If we rarely pray, there's something wrong in our relationship with God. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God commands us to call upon him in prayer. We'll see why we are to pray, how we are to pray, and for what we are to pray. When God created man, he wanted a close relationship with him. In Genesis, we read about the close communion there was between God and man in paradise. God walked and he talked with Adam and Eve. The Lord established a covenant with mankind. In that way, he bound himself to Adam. He said, walk with me, Adam, and you will enjoy life forevermore. Or as the form for baptism puts it, we are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust him to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. For a time, Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect communion with our Father in heaven. But then they sinned. They broke the covenant by eating of the tree from which God had forbidden them to eat. They brought man's perfect communion with God to an end. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, Man became dead in his trespasses and sins. Yet God still desired communion with us. He called out, Adam, where are you? A question full of love. God throws a lifeline, calling us back from out of darkness into his wonderful light. In Genesis 3.15, God reestablished the covenant He spoke of the coming of the seed of the woman, a reference to the coming Christ. He would come to save us from our sins, to deliver us from the power of Satan. As mediator of the new covenant, he would restore us to communion with God again. Christ has come, and by his death on the cross, he has restored us in our relationship with the Father. We may again stand in a right relationship with him. We've been restored to the wonderful position of being sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Just like a father desires intimate contact with his children, so the Lord also wants a close relationship with us. We're members of the covenant of grace. We belong to him. We're part of his family. And so the Lord wants close contact with us. The covenant we have with God is two-sided. The Lord speaks and acts, and in response, we speak and act. The Lord speaks to us first, and we listen. And then we may also speak to him, and he listens to us. Prayer is that act of speaking. When we pray, we address God, praising him for his glorious deeds which he has done, and which he continues to do on our behalf. We thank him for his grace and his goodness. We call upon him to fulfill the promises that he has made to us. We expect all good things from his fatherly hand. 
If you're in a close relationship with someone, you talk with them. And since God has restored us to communion with him, he expects us to talk to him. As an all-knowing God, there is nothing we could say to God that would ever shock him. Yet God wants us to share our hearts. God wants us to open up about all that's going on in our life. God wants us to communicate at a deep level with him. Prayer is a necessary part of the life of every Christian. It stands at the heart of our relationship with God. Beloved, when we pray, we acknowledge God for who he is. Praying is an act of faith. It shows forth our utter dependence on God. When life is going good for us, we don't always feel a great need to pray. Often we become complacent in our relationship with God. We tend to think we're doing all right in life because of our own wisdom or strength or hard work. Our self-reliance can get in the way of intimate communion with God. It's often different when we face struggles and sorrows in life. At times, God brings struggles and sorrows upon us. And one of the reasons he does so is to teach us to trust in him. God's purpose for us is not to give us a comfortable ride through life. It is to draw us close to him so we can live in close fellowship with him now and forevermore. Sometimes God pushes us to the end of our own resources so that we will turn to him, so that we will seek his aid and protection. Beloved, please consider the situation of God's people in Nehemiah's time. Because of their continued idolatry and wickedness, God delivered his people into the hands of their enemies. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was laid waste. Many of the people were killed. The Babylonians took some of those who remained into exile. Jeremiah specified they would remain in captivity for 70 years. It was a really hard time for God's people. They didn't understand what was happening to them. Despite sending his prophets and repeatedly warning his people of the calamity to come, the Israelites simply could not imagine that God would allow their enemies to prevail against them. They were the covenant people of God. They lived in his land. They thought they were untouchable. They were shocked and dismayed when God's warnings turned into action. They questioned God's power and his faithfulness, shifting the blame for what had happened on him. Yet as the reality of being captives in a foreign land set in, they came to understand their own wickedness and apostasy. After that time, a remnant returned to, Ju to Judah to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. They faced much opposition to their work. They did not get very far in it. There were two main reasons for this. One is that only a small remnant returned from captivity. Many of the former exiles and their descendants had acclimatized to life in Babylon and the surrounding areas. They had made a new life for themselves. 
They had acquired possessions and positions and security. They were not inclined to face the hardships of returning to Judah. The second reason that the returning exiles were not holy, the second reason is that the returning exiles were not wholly committed to the Lord and his service. And so the Lord withheld his blessings from them. Some 60 years later, Ezra went back to the promised land with a second wave of returning exiles. He managed to motivate the people to rebuild the temple. But it was only a small beginning of what needed to be done. The walls of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt. The people were again undergoing deformation. They intermarried with the people of the land who did not serve God. God's people were complacent. They lacked commitment. They were again conforming to the ways of the world. There was travel between Israel and Persia, the new world empire. At a certain time, Nehemiah's brother and some others returned to Susa. Nehemiah questioned them about the state of affairs among the returned exiles. When he received a negative report about the great trouble they faced and about their lack of commitment to the Lord, Nehemiah sat down and wept. He mourned and he fasted. And then... He prayed. Nehemiah 1 verse 4 says that Nehemiah was praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's sadness does not lead him to being paralyzed with despair. His intense grief does not lead to inaction. Christians don't just throw in the towel. When we're beset with troubles, when we face great sorrow, we do not fall silent. Instead, we take action. We pray to the Lord. It's a sign of a true child of God. It's the mark of every true Christian. Adversity does not silence prayer. It intensifies it. Nehemiah does not think that after some 140 years with no real progress, we may as well forget about the Lord and his promises. He doesn't get frustrated or angry or fall into the trap of self-pity. Instead, he multiplies and he intensifies his prayers for the people of God, placing his trust, his confidence in the Lord expecting deliverance from him alone, depending on God to come to the aid of his people. How about you, beloved? Where do you turn when troubles come upon you? Do you double your efforts to get out of the mess you face through your own hard work? Do you try to solve your own problems by yourself? Our human inclination is to do that, to trust in ourselves, to rely on our own efforts. But that's foolish. God created us to live in close communion with him. He wants us to know him as our gracious heavenly father, To depend on him as a child relies on his dad or mom. God has infinite resources at his disposal. 
He can supply anything and everything we could ever need or desire. Remember, he is the creator of this world and all that's in it. He's the one who rules, who governs over all things. Why are we to pray? Because God commands us to do so. Because he desires intimate communion with us as people. Because it's through prayer that we learn to trust and depend on God for all we need. Now, those are not the only reasons for prayer, beloved. Our catechism gives one more very important reason why we are to pray. It's because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Remember God's grace towards us, beloved. When we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in paradise, we deserve to die eternally, to be cut off from God forevermore. But God did not condemn us to hell. He promised the Messiah and redemption through him. Israel's idolatry and wickedness led to the exile. But God did not give up on his people. He promised them restoration. As Christians, we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. He suffered and he died for our sins to restore us to God. Through the powerful working of the Spirit, we are being renewed more and more into God's image. We share in wonderful blessings from the hand of our Savior. Both materially and spiritually, God grants an abundance of gifts. Prayer is our way of saying thank you, of acknowledging God as the overflowing fountain of all good. So prayer is necessary in the life of each one of us. Having considered why we are to pray, we'll now focus on how we are to pray. Again, there's much we can learn from Nehemiah's prayer. When Nehemiah prayed, he addressed God. That's very important. The Lord did not hear his people's prayers when they called upon the Baals to grant them prosperity. Our prayers need to be addressed to the right address. Our catechism teaches that a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him must be addressed to the one true God only. Nehemiah prayed, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants. Know that Nehemiah calls upon the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Nehemiah addresses God by the name which he, by which he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. The Lord, in capital letters in our Bibles, is God's covenant name, Yahweh. Later, when the Lord passed before Moses, he revealed himself as the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. By calling God by his name, Yahweh, 
Nehemiah indicates his trust in God's constant love and his abiding faithfulness. He goes on to call the Lord the God of heaven. Next week, we'll consider how Jesus taught us to address God as our Father in heaven. It teaches us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way. It helps us trust in the power of our God. The Lord is enthroned in heaven. We as people are as but are as grasshoppers before him. He brings the princes to nothing. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. God is almighty. He's the all-powerful God. We can put our confidence in him. Nehemiah addresses the Lord as the great and awesome God. We tend to overuse that word, awesome. Your friend is a new toy, you call it awesome. You have an opportunity to get together with friends and have a good time, and you say you had an awesome night. That word awesome should be reserved for things that are breathtaking, magnificent, awe-inspiring. There's only one who is truly awesome, the eternal God whom we serve. At times when we observe his wonderful works, we're left speechless by their mind-boggling wonder. We serve an awesome God, beloved. God is the creator of this world and all that's in it. Both in the majesty and in the intricacy of creation, we see his power and his glory revealed. Yet this God is the same God who has a heart for you and for me. Remember, he sought out Adam and Eve after they fell into sin. Despite the fact that we're often rebellious and hard-hearted, God loves us with a deep and abiding love. He wants a relationship with us. Ultimately, he gave his only son to restore us to communion with him. If we want to live in close fellowship with God, we not only need to know who he is, We also need to know who we are. For our prayers to be heard by God, we must thoroughly know our need and misery and humble ourselves before God. If there is one thing that God hates, it's human pride. We, beloved, are not self-sufficient. No matter how much we may want to be, we're sinful people who need God's grace We need his forgiveness to be able to live in covenant fellowship with him. Nehemiah recognized that. His prayer contains a confession of sin. He prays confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah acknowledges that it's because of their sins that God kept his promise to scatter his people among the nations. The exile was the Israelites' own fault. The people's struggles were because they had not humbled themselves before God. They had not sought his aid or protection. When we come before God in prayer, beloved, we need to do so humbly. 
We need to recognize that we are creatures addressing the mighty creator of all. We need to acknowledge that God is holy while our lives are stained with sin. We need to admit the specific ways in which we've sinned against the Lord, seeking forgiveness in the blood of Christ. James 4, verse 6 teaches us, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When it comes down to it, we as sinful people do not deserve to be heard by the great and awesome God. God has promised to hear and answer the prayers of those who come to him in humble faith. There's one final necessary ingredient for our prayers. For our prayers to be pleasing to God and heard by him, we need to pray them with confidence. We need to expect that God will certainly hear our prayer. Nehemiah prayed with that kind of confidence. He knew that the returned exiles were God's people, whom God redeemed by his great strength and his mighty arm. And so he prayed, O Lord, let your prayer be attentive to the ear. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Nehemiah asked the Lord to grant him favor when he again appeared in the presence of the king, for he was the cupbearer of the king. When Nehemiah next appeared before the king to bring him his wine, he did so with a sad face. The Bible says that he had not been sad in the king's presence before. It went totally against the protocol of the royal court. A servant was not allowed to bring his problems before the king. He was to go about his business efficiently and cheerfully. Yet Nehemiah was overcome with grief at the plight of his people. And so he served the king wine with a sad face. The king noticed and asked Nehemiah why his face looked so sad when he was not ill. His question made Nehemiah very much afraid. He tells the king it's because the city where his fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king then asks what Nehemiah wants. Before he answers, he prays to the God of heaven. Nehemiah's prayer must have been a quick, intense prayer in a moment of need. Yet Nehemiah prays, knowing that he needs God's help to receive a favorable answer from the king. And then he requests the king to send him to Jerusalem to rebuild it. This was a bold request. Nehemiah could have been fired, perhaps even killed, for appearing before the king with a sad face. Now he asked the king to send him on an officially sanctioned trip to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem, historically, was a trouble spot. The king had decreed in Ezra 4 that Jerusalem, which he called a place of rebellion and sedition, would not be rebuilt until he so ordered. Yet with confidence, Nehemiah lays his deepest desires before the king. He asked for letters from the king that would allow him to travel safely, that he would give him access to building materials. Nehemiah did so, trusting God would hear his prayers. Beloved, when you pray, do you pray confidently? 
You can, you know. The reason that we have confidence is that we have a mediator, Jesus Christ. By his sacrifice and death on the cross, he has opened the way for us to approach God's throne of grace. Jesus has promised to intercede for us. God loves to hear the prayers of his children. He loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. For Christ's sake, we will be confident that God will hear us, that he will grant us all we need for body and soul. It brings us to our final point, and I will consider for what we are to pray. What are we allowed to pray for? Anything we desire from the hand of our God. What what may we expect to receive? All that God has promised us in his word. The Bible teaches us to pray according to the promises God has made us. And beloved, that's what Nehemiah did. God had promised to restore his people from exile. He had promised to grant them their own inheritance again, to dwell among them in the temple. So Nehemiah was right to pray for the restoration of God's people in his land so he could dwell among them again. Beloved, when we examine the scriptures, we see God has made incredibly great promises to us. When he established the covenant with us, he promised to be our God and Father, to allow us the privilege of being his children. He promised to dwell with us, that we could dwell with him in the life to come. He promised to provide us with all we need for body and soul along the way. God has promised us a host of spiritual blessings in Christ. He's elected us in Christ. He has chosen us from before the foundation of this world to be his people. He has adopted us as his sons and daughters. He has granted us redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance that we may share in everlasting life. And so we may pray according to these promises, pleading for God to grant us his grace and his spirit. When we sin, we may plead for forgiveness in the blood of Christ. We may ask the Spirit to equip us for service, to guide us through life, to strengthen us in times of trouble. God will hear and he will answer those prayers. Psalm 103 verse 12 says that he will remove our transgressions from us as far as east from west extends. Luke 11:13 says he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God has also promised to provide for all our bodily needs. Jesus instructed us, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus pointed to the way in which God feeds the birds of the air and the flowers, how he clothes the flowers of the field. 
He makes abundant provision for them. And then Jesus asked, Are you not of more value than they? He says that our Father knows our needs, and he promises to provide for us. Beloved, continue to read diligently from God's word. Consider all the promises that the Lord has made to you. And then pray according to those promises. Be assured that your Father in heaven will hear your prayers. Be confident he will provide you with all you need for body and soul. He has promised and he is faithful. It's when we learn to intimately share our needs and our desires with God that we find rest and peace for our souls. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing hymn 65.